be full of fright. I dreamt that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show. And I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Welcome to the Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. I'm Jacob. <laughs> That's Jacob. <laughs> I, I see Jamin over there. Hello. Hi. Victoria, I'm sorry you're not here right now. Oh. Well, where'd Victoria go? <laughs> yeah. Screaming void. <laughs> Hello. So this week is episode 37 of the Dispatchist. Karen is sharing. But. <laughs> First, did anybody bring anything to the party? I did. Actually, this is something that you recommended. I brought the River Sticks cocktail from Spirit Cocktails. Oh, which one? There were so many. I forgot which one. Oh, this. Oh, one that was a, that was a Leith joke. Oh, I messed up. <laughs> yeah, the Leith the Leith has a lot more vodka in it. Oh yeah, this one it looked really intriguing, and I hope we can make it someday soon. Um, it's two ounces of vodka, one ounce of peppermint schnapps. Two ounces of soda water and a half ounce of black vodka, which I'd never seen before. The black vodka sounds really neat. It's got like berry notes and things like that. Yeah. The peppermint kind of gives it this cooling flavor. The black vodka gives it this black color plus this kind of berry flavor. And um, you're really supposed to just mix the, you know, put all the ingredients that are not black vodka into a shaker with ice and then you top it with the black vodka so it kind of like oozes down into the mixture more oozing you know sledge like black the black goo we have a we have this Mm. kind of running thread of black goo through this podcast liquid nightmare liquid nightmare not being much of a drinky person i would have thought that maybe the, the river sticks cocktail should go with like something with a pd flavor yeah, like um, I had when I saw Bauhaus at PT. the Paramount. <laughs> what? PT. Like PT. Yes. PT. Um, they had this cocktail that was very Bauhaus-y that was, um, it was some kind of, I think it was smoked vodka, but anyway, it tasted like being inside of a passage grave. It was delightful. Yeah. I'd like to say PT some more. PT. PT. I eat PT. Of or pertaining to Pete. Yes. Oh, and Jester King also has like a very kind of weird, smoky, Viking-inspired beer that they only have at certain times of year that is also super delicious. It's very, very um, gravy. Not gravy-like, you know, (laughs) gravy, but (laughs) Mm. gravy. Oh, I never made a gravy boat. Karen. Oh, connection. Next Thanksgiving, we're going to make a Karen... Gravy, gravy boat. boat. What a terrible idea. <laughs> but like you can make little mashed potato corpses to go in the, gr- or, you know, dumplings. I just think it implies something about your turkey. <laughs> when you serve dinner with a side of psychopomp. Mm. <laughs> Don't know about that. Oh, I, don't know. I, I think, I think this is an idea worth exploring. When we create our uh, cookbook, we can talk to Mark Scarborough about that. Well, I did bring some entertainment. Oh, this wasn't entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, being crucified on a dark stone tower in a wind of sparks and flames and then being buried in flaming, weeping coals. 
Okay, so how do they both flame and weep? It's an infinite universe. But there's multiple, there were at least three iterations of flame, correct? You know, hell is simultaneously infinitely cold and infinitely hot. I think we have room for weeping goals. I think that's menopause also. So hell mm. is menopause, really. Mm. Okay. Hmm. I mean, okay, okay. I, I meant to say, like, multiple times with Virgil is the book was called The Inferno, but there was very little actual inferno. There was a lot of ice, a lot of weeping, yeah. a lot of gnashing, more ice, frozen stuff, a butt. Not a lot of Inferno. Why don't you go onto um, Goodreads <laughs> or Amazon and make that your review? <laughs> That's my review. <laughs> Please do so. I think that like <laughs> I expected more Inferno. Where's the fire? Not in this book. Hmm. I need to do that. <laughs> I think you really do need to do that. What's stopping you? So Inferno specifically means or refers to infernal of or pertaining to the underworld. So the pyroclastic suggestion is sort of after the fact. That's later edition. Well, that's a buzzkill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's what it says on my office door. <laughs> so I've been I've been kind of snacky lately when I get when I get home and I've been murdering a lot of chicken nuggets. And um, making a small amount of deviled eggs because they're relatively easy. You chop an egg in half, you devil it, and you reapply it to itself, yeah, right? I love deviled eggs. I do too. I know, right? So good. What would happen? And we're about to find out because here's the platter. You take an egg, you put a chicken nugget in the middle, and you top it with smushed up yolk with the bits. It's chicken nugget deviled eggs. I've, you know, I've struggled with this because there are times where I put eggs in chicken salad and I've wondered if this is like an abomination. Like, I'd be like chicken know. and egg salad. <laughs> exactly. Which came first? <laughs> but it's sort of like, yeah, like, oh, is it, is it okay to eat both? Yes. Oh, it meets the needs. Have one. Have one. Okay. Delightful. It's delicious. Can you deep? Oh, no. I've already answered my own question. Scotch eggs. You can deep fry it an egg. You can and you should. Yes, yes, they're delicious. Yeah. Someone mathed out how to scotch egg and ostrich egg and that sounded amazing. <laughs> Seven pounds of sausage. Yes. We have so many things that we have to do in person when we can <laughs> be in person all the time. There's a farm up either in Round Rock or Pflugerville, but they oh. sell ostrich eggs. Oh, wow. Road yeah. trip. So the other day, I got a message from the Saint podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been listening to that. It seems kind of charming, kind of quaint. They invited us over for dinner. Um, I'm thinking bag of potato chips come in and rifle through their medicine cabinet. I think deviled eggs. Deviled eggs. And, and the medicine cabinet thing. I really enjoyed the podcast, I have to say. Oh. I'm probably going to spill my juice box. It would be great to, to meet with the podcast and come up with some kind of Red Rover-ish situation. <laughs> but we are on the same page about going through their medicine cabinet. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Uh -huh. Okay, yeah, cool. Just yeah, check yeah. it. Goes without okay. saying. Okay. I'll bring my big purse. <laughs> it's the only purse I have. <laughs> <laughs> my bag of medical holding. <laughs> yeah. So, Jacob linked us a song earlier. Um, Delta Heavy is the group, and this specifically was a song called White Flag. And the reason he linked it was because the video is this kind of Satan battles God in, yeah. what, 8-bit video game style? It's 16? very Miltonian. Yeah. 
And it's this kind of beautiful video, and it's so well done. But the song is super catchy. Like, that's been my earworm this week. Okay. I literally have listened to this song dozens of times. And so I want to link in the show notes this video with the beautiful animation of Satan fighting God and going through, you know, the, the whatever's is. But the song is super pretty, but it introduced me to the remixes. There's a, uh, it's called Nightcore, where they pitch everything up and everyone sounds like squeaky little girls. And it's the same song. It's just, you know, tempoed up a little bit. And I was like, oh, this version's great too. And then YouTube was like, check out this version of White Flag by Delta Heavy, which has been slowed down and they had reverb. And it's just like, oh, so now I have three versions of the same song just rotating through my playlist. Nice. And it's earworm. Yo, earworm. On the subject. Trump arm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So talking of worms, this one really kind of elevated and irritated me at the same time. On my long flight and drive to Vegas the other day, I uh, was reading a copy of Hell Hath No Fury, Gender, Disability, and the Invention of Damned Bodies in Early Christian Literature. Oh, yeah, I want to read that. I have to say, if you want to go through a 20-hour drive, you should read theology. Like, that is that will keep you awake on those long drives. <laughs> Biblical studies for the win. Uh, mm. But this was a lot of, quote, fun, unquote. The author, Megan Henning, her thesis is kind of that men are portrayed as being stoic and firm and unyielding and noble. And in classical everything, women tend to be portrayed, no offense, as, you know, soggy and porous <laughs> and overly emotional. Well, I don't see how... Say moist. I did, I, it was implied, strongly implied, <laughs> and said several times in the text. But the, the torments of hell tend to reduce somebody to the state of being wow. emotional, porous, leaky, and medically fraught. And she kind of spins that out through a lot of other kind of patriarchal things, showing how the idea of bodies influences the torments of hell and vice versa. But her most recent lecture, like two days ago, was about worms <gasps> with a fun aside on um, breast milk beasts. Ooh, okay. So breast milk is a big, big deal in this kind of world and literature, especially like like Shakespearean and, and before. Honestly, I had no idea. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it seems like synonyms with motherhood and things like that, but your breast milk can come to life and attack you in hell. Wow. Uh, uh, Probably not yours, Jamin. No. Yeah. So Dodge that bullet. What you're saying is all of theology states that be upright and noble and do good and adhere to society and do what the priests tell you, or you will be go to hell and become womanly. Um That's not patriarchal at all. No not 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 much, no. Um that's probably I mean yeah. I mean other than the entirety of it, but I just want to say it become this parody of womanly. Or kind of a, yeah, like, yeah, like a grotesquerie of a woman. Yeah, that's it. This is a grotesquerie. Uh-huh. Anyway, so I've had some fun conversation <laughs> with her over Twitter, and I'm really um, sorry I missed that that uh, presentation. What's what's her name again? Megan Henning. M-E-G-H-A-N-H-E-N-N-I-N-G. Well, she would be a perfect person for our sidecar episodes, because we could go back to the women of how yeah, yeah. and have her talk about this. Well, that's like the women in hell. It's It's worse. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going to write that down. Yeah, there's so an entire – I mean, she's done some other books on this in this field as well. So, yeah, I'd like to get back with her at some point yeah. in time. Megan, you sound like a very smart person. I'm sorry for making fun of your very scholarly work. We didn't. 
I you're making fun of the patriarchy, which we all support. <laughs> I, I will. I will say that most of my interpretation of her literature has been filtered through extreme sleep deprivation and jet lag. So it's I might not. <laughs> yeah. It was actually just a cookbook. Oh, <laughs> it makes so much more sense now. So yeah, this week we're going to be talking about Karen or Karen or. How do we See, say it this week? Is Karen? Like immediately, we descended to bickering. Yeah, <laughs> I've always been like the Quran type, but if you go to Google's and you just type pronounce C H A R O N, she says Karen. Well, the C is supposed to be, or the C, the K sound. I saw somebody else say, "Oh, that's actually supposed to be silent." So it could be. It's supposed to be like Karen, like this kind of yeah, like Karen. Karen is yeah, the one I've, I've heard the most kind of a, a sort of. Back the, of the throat. <laughs> the letter K and the letter H are very similar in every aspect but language, right? Like in written, spoken, etc. Right, just like the, the part of your throat that makes a K and the okay. part of your throat that makes the <sighs> right? Mm -hmm. And so if you do a fricative, which there is that fricative, so it's like the haran, haran, or haran, or whoever they are. And in modern Greek now is, or modern-ish Greek, it's like their, their epithet is, it is Heron or Heros, right? Yeah. So that, yeah, mm -hmm. that it could go either way. So can we split the difference and say Karen for now? Yeah. I'm okay with Karen. Yeah. Okay, that'll work. Can we, can we insert a clip of Google saying Karen? Karen. Over and over again? Yeah, repeatedly. Or is yeah, that like copyright? five times, I'll do it. Okay. Karen. <laughs> Karen. 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 So, Karen. we could start with uh, who is Karen. I think that's who? probably a safe place to start. And, Excellent. You know, pretty, I think we all, we all basically know this is the guy that takes you across the river of death into the underworld. That's pretty much him. He's a psychopomp. And I think that's like conception one is that. And you get kind of into some refining of it because I feel like the popular version of this is really like overlaid with the Grim Reaper in some serious mm -hmm. ways. So, you like can't really separate them entirely anymore. But he's usually described as an old man or the old man. Kind of old, gaunt, uh, flashing eyes. Which are important. Yeah, they are. That's his name, actually. It means maybe bright eyes, maybe flashing eyes, maybe pale eyes. Mm. Um, pale eyes could be like old age or approaching Glocus. death. Or, yeah, that that kind of image. Blindness. Virgil describes him, there Heron stands who rules the dreary coast, a sordid god down from his hairy chin, a length of beard descends, uncombed, unclean, his eyes like hollow furnaces on fire, a girdle foul with grease binds his obscene attire. So here's, I have a lot of questions. Question the first, and I will bring this up as we go along. But, okay, <laughs> so... Why? Okay, so he's referred to, however, in the um, Divine Comedy as, how do you say it, Flagius? Hmm. The river so, or the person? No, he is. Interesting. If I, if I recall correctly, but everybody kind of just refers to him, says that Dante refers to him as Karen. But Wait, Karen oh. himself turns up on like page 10. Flagius is a later river. That's interesting, though. Flagius was... I wonder if Flagius and Phlegathon are cognate. Yeah, it must be. And, and with phlegm. <laughs> he was the giant guardian of the fifth circle of hell, and he was the ferryman of the river Styx. So he's kind of like... And that was another question I had. It was, 
the Acheron versus the sticks. Cause, and I think I've started that out for myself because they're two different things. Well, and um, I think they're probably, if you're in like classical Greek underworld, what's the word for river study? Potomology. Potomology, that is not right. It is. Oh. Anyway, if you're, if you're talking about classical Greek underworld lakes, I think the Styx is the marshland that kind mm-hmm. of leads to hell, and the Acheron is the river that divides the land of the living and the dead. So you just you meet the Acheron first, and it flows into the Styx. So all these rivers are connected. Okay. So maybe, because I need to go back and look at the but because he is one of the boatmen. Right. Boatman. And in Greek, he's like the boatman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually am kind of wondering, because his name is Charon, and the first river he crossed was the Acheron, and I wonder if he's like a rogue Potomoy uh, river spirit that kind of broke free and got his own career. Well, I was actually talking about Flag- uh, Flagius is is actually another boatman, but I don't yeah. know if it's the same person or... And maybe another Potomoy. I, I, I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, hmm. But hmm. he starts off as the, the boatman of the Acheron, and eventually becomes kind of the boatman of the Acheron and the Styx, which, as I recall, are kind of the first things you cross to get to the underworld. So they're related pools. Mm-hmm. I guess they, the two get conflated. Yeah, yeah, and they go back and forth as to which you're crossing. The Styx just has better brand recognition over time. I'm still talking about Flagius and uh, Karen, because <laughs> he really is. There's really a Flagius in the Divine Comedy. It is, and in... And he's a person, not a not a body of water. The idea of a river that separates the land of the living and the other world is kind of pretty constant across time. This is a very mm-hmm. recurring thing. And if we roll back to Mesopotamia, we uh, encounter Urshanabi slash Shiluigi. The uh, right, right, who is an old an old man. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of that's that's the trope. Uh, he doesn't seem to have any superhero powers or necessarily be anything other than a guy with a boat with some really good engine work. And stone things. Stone things, yes. I mean, he's weird, but not like super paranormal weird. And he kind of journeys along with uh, Gil Gamesh for a while. Right. They're buddy-buddies. Buddy buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, he replaces what's-his-face. What's-his-face? Come on. He, that was he like, sort of becomes like the he's the he's the rebound ever after Inky right? <laughs> right? The buddy right, cop right. rebound? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he's not really a, a... I don't even think you could really call him the ferryman of the dead. He just kind of ferries around the River Huber a little bit, which is... Which is the entire story is like a journey to the land of the gods and back again. Mm-hmm. So, is he a Karen analog, or is he just this guy? I don't know. Well, don't know. we could go a little bit thinkier, in which, if you're in the underworld, you're going to need help navigating, because mere mortals can navigate on their own. So... What if you happen to be half-god anyway? <laughs> What if Uber so doesn't like go there? Uber driver. Yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, he ferry he ferries Gil around, but it's, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Gil. I, I, Gil. I will rewind that now. sentence. He's always been Gil to me. <laughs> it's hard to say whether these myths are connected or not, or whether there is always a river and there's always a river man. Okay, so we're talking about there's always a river and there's always a boatman. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of other uh, really interesting figures that are kind of shades of Karen, potentially connected, potentially the myths of them are built on 
Karen. Can, one in- can we start with my favorite, who is Karen? Yes, let's talk about yeah, so Karen. Karen with a U and uh-huh. a hammer. And a hammer. Yes. So the Etruscans, who lived in Etruria, which was basically the Greek outpost of Italy, northwest mm-hmm. Italy, had their own special psychopomp ferryman whose name was Karen. And they're like, no, 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 ours is different. Way more differenter than yours. It's got a U. Uh, <laughs> what? They, they uh, trademarked that statement. I know, right? It's like, come on, guys. Just just acknowledge. Well, so they, they were their own standalone culture up until about 800, and they started merging with the Greeks, and they imported Karen from the Greeks, meddled him with one of their local demons, and created some hybrid thing. No, no, so they were the same culture as Greeks, and then they left the Greek, the Greek Peloponnesian, like what? No, what's the word? The uh, the islands. Oh, uh, they 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 were and they weren't, and then they like, moved to the mainland. Well, for a while, they were their own standalone people. They are their standalone people, but they used to be Greek. Well, yes, but before they used to be Greek, they were Greek, <laughs> and then before they were Greek, they were their own standalone people. They were called the standalone people. About nine hundred. About nine hundred. BCE, they started merging with Greece. By about 600, there was a lot of overlap, and then I don't really know what happened after that. Tatsiki. Hey! But, uh, I, Karen, with a U, um, was also tended to be more violent. Yes. Right? Like, he would hit people with his alleged hammer. And he was more monstrous, but that doesn't make him a monster, necessarily. He still had gray eyes. Mm-hmm. He did. Sometimes he had uh, tentacles. Really? Yeah, really. I miss the tentacles. No. What? Uh, no, sometimes he had snaky hair, a beak or tusks, <gasps> blue, maybe corpse-like skin, wings. Oh, right. Yeah, snakes on his arms. Um, Bells on his toes? Presumably, yes. Um so he was kind of monstrous, but I but that wasn't necessarily that didn't necessarily but that did not necessarily make him a monster because if you are scary, you can frighten off evil spirits. So he still had elements of like guardian of the dead. There, he would like chase away the demons as he ferried people to their great beyond. Mm, okay. Although I think he got worse and worse over time and became a monster because like around eighty AD or so, mm-hmm. if you're in the Colosseum. Um, fighting to your death or near death in in the in gladiatorial battle, uh, the last thing you might see is someone called the dispatter who hits you with a hammer to make sure you're actually dead. So I wonder yes. if there's some merging of myths coming together there. And call out to dis. Like, yes, yes, yes. And I feel like we need to capitalize on that whole thing. Like maybe make our an action figure of or, like a little dude that. <laughs> A hammer. <laughs> a hammer is a gimme. <laughs> so I have a funny uh, news item about a Karen Karen confusion. Okay. Okay. So this was in um, the Montreal Daily Star, August twentieth, nineteen twelve. So the the headline is "No Karen Here." He is all very good for the world beneath. Okay. So, yes, it sounds quaint. Uh, so the the um the dateline or the the place is Amsterdam, August twenty first. 
Owing to a boycott on the steamship Karen by the dockers on Greek ports, the Royal <laughs> Netherlands Steamship Company has been compelled to change its, its ship's name. The men refuse to work the ship on account of its association with a mythological old gentleman who plies the ferry across the river of the lower world. Legit. So the above statement is not quite correct as it stands. The person with whom the dockers would associate the ship's name would not be the ancient Karen, but rather his modern descendant, the death demon Keros, for the facts about whom see Mr. Lawson's modern Greek folklore and ancient Greek religion. Of which I have many things to read from later on, but do go on. (laughs) Exactly. The occurrence is interesting as showing not only the liveliness of the belief in this picturesque figure, but the survival of the ancient notions of omens connected with names and chance utterances illustrated by the classical puns on the names Pentheus, Millinger, Helen, (laughs) etc. Well, that's not really a Karen Karen confusion, but a Karen Keros. Mm. I have some fun things to bring in from Lawson later on, so that's neat to have that kind of tie-in there. It is. I was very excited to find that. Thank you, JSTOR. Can I tell you about some other interesting things? Oh, oh yeah. Karen? So Okay, so that's another question I have. So where does Keros... There's like this Venn diagram of Karen, Karen, and Keros. Keros. Oh, and Plagius. <laughs> Uh, I think that's a that's a side quest. Um, I think Charon becomes Keros over uh, over the course of a few centuries, mm-hmm. as uh, Keros is kind of the angel of death. Um, I think what happens is that Dis slash Pluto slash Hades, who are the gods of the dead, gradually kind of like reverse Potomoi become the realms, the names of the realms, and they become the realms. So they kind of fade literally into the landscape, and that leaves room for a new god of the dead, which uh, is, I mean, Thanatos is kind of the god of dying Mm, in Greek, mm -hmm. but then he becomes fully fledged like the lord of the dead. And Charon, who's another psychopomp, and actually Thanatos' brother by way of, like, Nyx. Thanatos, uh, Charon is related to all these kind of inevitables, like fate, Oh, and, yeah, Chaos. Um, well, Chaos was the mother of both Nyx and Erebus. Yeah. The parents of uh, Karen, Thanatos. Yeah. Uh, um, but like uh, sleep, 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 death, strife, dream, mm-hmm. um, nemesis, all these things that are not quite gods, but Again, are. Seven deadly dwarves. Yeah. <gasps> kind of as they loom like gods, but they aren't gods. They're something else. More, mm-hmm. I think a lot like the. The Endless and the Dreaming series. Really. Oh my gosh, it's so, like, I had that moment of like, wait a minute. You have so. death and dream. Yep, 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 yep. Um, yeah, cool, okay. Uh, so, I But there, have... there were also, just a minor thing, there were also oh, yeah, yeah. multiple uh, Karens, Karo, uh, in the, in, in, in multiple Eustrakan Karens. There were like four of them, and so it was kind of a class of entity as well as being a single, a single thing. That's Dude. All. Okay, cool. Um, <clears throat> so the first, so I'm going to take you on a journey around the world. In your tiny boat? <laughs> My wee tiny boat um, that I'm going to get uh, Dionysus to... Uh, across to... the river sticks, across <laughs> the river sticks. <laughs> um, so let's, uh, we're first going to go to Ireland 
and we'll be talking a little bit more about Ireland in, in, in a future episode. But um, so there's a, another guy uh, who's Mananin. I think I have to double check with my Irish Gaelic on that. Mananin McLear. It's pronounced who, Chumley. <laughs> you could also call him Manan or Manan. Um, so uh, McLear, uh, which Mananin McLear, which means son of the sea, he is a warrior king of the other world in Irish mythology. And he's associated with the sea and often interpreted as a sea god, but also he is seen as the person who uh, buries the dead. Hmm. Yeah. So um, in modern tales, he is also he has a self-navigating boat. And oh, boat, yeah. call back. To, Ushtabi. To, oh yeah, with his with his stone things. Yeah. Um, his boat is called Squabatuni, a uh, ah! sweeper. Squabatuni. Squabatuni or Squabaton. I need to actually. I think it's probably Squabaton. Squabaton sounds like our next in album. Like <laughs> Squabaton. It's like a um, it's like a death metal pi- death metal pigeon band. Yes, I need to pull out my uh, folklore polka and figure out how to say some of these. My I'm rest, my Gaelic is rusty, uh, but that means wave sweeper. He also has a horse called Ainbar, um, which can run over water as well as land, and a deadly strength sapping sword named Frag- Fragnarok. So I think that's a plus two sword. <laughs> um, Fragnarok. <laughs> it's Fragnarok. So okay. there's no N. I think I just added that uh, because I wanted an N to be. <laughs> it just it sounds a lot like Fraggle Rock, which is what stopped me. <laughs> well, it's and also Ragnarok. Um, yeah, but that's not funny. <laughs> when we talk about uh, Celtic underworld legends and mythology, uh, he's going to figure prominently, probably because he not only shows up in um, Irish mythology, but also in Scottish and Manx legend. And so the other day when I was sending all pictures of the Manx flag, supposedly one of the legends is that those little, the three legs are yeah. his. Oh, or what? so he's like the Flintstones running in an animation cell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, right. which is pretty cool. So there's Ireland. We're going to go to the Philippines next. And the, and I know I'm going to butcher this the Mananugal jar. Of course, Filipino cultures, uh, maritime culture. And so this jar um, is very interesting to scholars because a depiction of a boatman ferrying somebody across. And this is like a, a jar, a funereal jar. So there's an assumption that the figure on this jar is Karen ferrying somebody to the afterlife. And the jar floated to the Philippines from Greece. <laughs> it happened. Mm-hmm. And um, it also represents their um, belief in life after death. And it's connected to um, some, you know, just general kind of Austronesian beliefs. So we're going to have to have an episode at least on this world, this, this, the Australia and the Philippines and other places like that. So the last stop is the world of the, the Norse world, the world of the Vikings. So, are you guys <laughs> familiar with the works of Snorri Sturluson? I am, actually. Yeah, I, I love Mr. Sturluson. Is, you guys are. So, the Poetic Edda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And stories about um, Harvard. 
Yeah, Snorri Stories. Snorri Stories about Harbard, who is another boatman who, in the poem that I cannot pronounce, the Harbard, the Harbard Jod, which is a poem about, uh, kind of got off track here. You got out, got out of the boat. <laughs> I did. So in the poem, let's just call it the Lay of Harbard. Harbard, H A R B A R D. Harbard Schlu. Oh, those are those are Fs. Of course they are. So how would you say the? Uh, it's a flitting poem. Yep, 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 yep. yep I yep. remember flitting. It's fantastic. So yeah, so he's exchanging insults. Like he's a he's a rude, obnoxious ferryman. So he's exchanging insults with Thor. But there's this belief that because Harvard is a Kenning or Odin, and also Harvard is known as Greybeard, that he actually is Odin. If you want like the extended 45-minute dance, dance mix of this, there's a, a good YouTube video by Craig and Ford called Ferryman of the Underworld, and it mm-hmm. talks a lot about this specific story, but also Urshanabi and Karen. And he says that everything is linked together through uh, the word Karl, which means old man, um, and is a frequent epithet of Odin, the old man, and Heron, the old man. And the root of it is Geryon, who we have met before in the Inferno, Mm -hmm. who also, I think, is the name of uh, someone who owns two-headed dogs. um, Right, 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 right. right. He may be Cerberus' owner. And that comes up in the Hercules uh, yeah. so legend kind of this, this encounter t- with Karen. There's a kind of tangle of old man legends sharing this cognate that goes all the way back to uh, to Charon. Mm-hmm. And there's also an instance uh, in the saga of the Volksung that Harvard ferries Sigmund's son Sinfjol across, the, or just takes him out into the water for burial. Was he alive or dead? Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> he, he drank himself dead. Oh. <laughs> Allegedly. So the, the actual um, story is, so uh, Sinfjolti drank and straightaway fell dead to the ground. That's so Norse. Mm-hmm. So Sigmund carried him to um, across the firth to uh, the water, saw a man in a little boat, and that man asked if he would be wafted by him over the firth, and he said yes. There too, but so little was the boat that they might not go all the way at once. So the corpse was first laid therein, while Sigmund went to the Firth side. But therewith the boat and the man vanished from before Sigmund's eyes. Did you just laugh? No, I went. <laughs> oh no! It looked like Jamin was laughing. Are you laughing at my pronunciation? No, you did. <laughs> you, you done did good, butchering uh, all the norves. Harpers. Harbard slowed. I know. I know. I yes. I linked you a. I linked you an Icelandic pronunciation. Harbard slowed. Now remember, it's a. It's an S, not a. Not a D. Harbard slowed. Yes, that's much. Yes, much slobberier. Oh great. Harbard. Okay. 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 I'll work on that. Yeah. Cool. Harbor cool, 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 cool. Mm-hmm. So anywho, yeah. There's and the, some some scholars have uh, posited that. Actually, he's Loki, but all of these other bits of information, again, point him to being Odin. So, and there, my our journey ends. Yay! So let's go, let's, 
go back to talking about paying the ferryman for a little bit. Okay. So that's a, a the uh, Christoberg, the famous Christoberg song. What? What? You guys don't know Don't Pay the Ferryman? Don't pay the ferryman. Don't even fix that price. I don't pay the ferryman. But how are you going to get across the river? Till he, till he gets you to the other side. Ah! Uh, <laughs> that doesn't ring a bell. So no, but thank you for this magical moment. <laughs> in, <laughs> in my research these weeks, which mm-hmm. mostly involved watching the Boondock Saints, that was okay. that was I, I lost my notes. Sorry, guys. Oh dear. So uh-huh. a couple things come up in the world of mythology. Paying the ferryman. There's the coin in the mouth. There's mm-hmm. the coin on the eyes. That was mouth. In the mouth. I heard mouse. <laughs> Don't right. pay the fairy mouse. Right. <clears throat> mouth. Mm-hmm. Right. And one one snarky commenter was like, yes, they put the coins in the mouth because the ancient Greek hadn't invented pockets yet. Well, like, yeah, you know, but... You know. No. So, coins in the mouth, coins in the eyes, two different things. They kind of got conflated. The Irish don't put coins on their eyes if you... Don't want to watch the Boondock Saints and have it ruined for you. For you. Well, no, they put potatoes on their eyes. I know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh That's why God. they say the potatoes have eyes. Let's oh go ahead and dear. just be culturally insensitive. Yeah, we're going to have to... You guys are going to need a talking to in the next couple of weeks. So, one thing I've learned, and I, I've learned an awful lot about this, is that a lot of the stuff out there, a lot of people have already questioned, right? And... I didn't really start this project with you guys to become an amateur thanatologist. And I feel like every other amateur thanatologist out there before me has already gone down this road and they're like, oh yeah, all this is common sense, right? Things like coins on eyes, right? As society progresses, we become less barbaric, more civilized, more urban, and you want to preserve your dead to bury your dead instead of just, you know, throwing them into the woods to the wolves. You'd have, you know, grandma laying out on the table. And corpses do corpsey things. And so it's very jarring and disturbing when grandma's there and like through like rigor mortis and whatever, her eyelids pop open. And then she starts staring at you and like Aunt Sue screams. It's just, it's disturbing. And so an easy fix is let's just weigh the eyelids down, right? So we need something small, round, and relatively heavy. And we're looking around. What have we got, guys? Cucumber slices. Nope, nope, not heavy enough. Reduces that post-mortem heaviness. <laughs> puffy, puffy. Coins, right? So this was just a probably relatively easy, simple thing. It's like, look, we're going to make the corpse more decent, and we're applying value, literally, by adding yeah. money, which serves a purpose. Well, and I think it, it directly converts to a symbol really easily. Yeah, it's yeah. a symbol of burial, a symbol of respect yeah. after death. Mm-hmm. And that's... that. From what we learned from Egypt and Mesopotamia, is these these little tiny grave goods show that people care enough about you, right? And that's what gets you through the the final obstacle, not necessarily the coin itself, but but that someone's laid you to rest. Yeah, and so it's it's not just religion creating the value; it's real life having a actual purpose, getting then tokenized and you know revered. And I was like, oh, neat. I guess I'm an amateur thanatologist now. I, I think we embrace that. I learned a new word. I learned two new words. 
apart from the Norse names. Biaticum. Spell it. Which is one explanation for the coins. B-I-A-T-I-C-U-M, which is sustenance for the journey. So the coins could also be to help, you know, as we were talking about, provide for the deceased in the afterlife. It could also refer to communion because sometimes, like, a later practice was communion wafers. That's where I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People would eat coins. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. And so they were kind of associated. But also, sometimes the coins actually had no value. They were kind of like stamped, very thin, worthless pieces of metal. Like the totem pass was another version of this that would be put on the mouth. And it would have inscriptions of kind of like a little map to the afterlife or um, what you're supposed to do, like the kind of step-by-step process for getting into the afterlife. I'm okay with giving play money to Karen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sounds German. Oh, it is German. Mm-hmm. By the way, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is off Deutsch. Hmm. And viatic, from the word mm-hmm. via, the way, of, uh-huh. tra- of travels, viaticum. Hmm. The Money. other word I learned was catabasis or catabasis. Oh, the opposite of anabasis. So, the descent. Right, right, right. Because we have a lot of descent stories that are connected with Karen, like celebrity descent stories. Mm. Okay, I did not know. Mm-hmm. So we have to have a Catabasis episode sometime where we just talk about descent. Going down? Uh-huh. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's mm. Love in the Elevator. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Anakata, like, not actually being opposites, but so often used, it's great. Totally irrelevant to anything at all. Ana and Kata are usually, I, see, I hear them most frequently as the analog to up and down in the fourth dimension. Yeah. This is not helpful. It's just how I associate those words. Oh, what's the, what's the book that taught us all this? Uh, Dr. Seuss. Um, <laughs> oh. Anyway, yeah. Ana and Kata. Fourth, so fourth and back. No, it was the. Like, the busy uh, worm. Box and socks. No, it's the one where you go Anna and you go flipping backwards and you come out the wrong way. Ketchup tastes sweet and chocolate tastes sour. Right. That's the boy who reversed himself. Oh. Hmm. But we uh, all, this is why we're on <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> Finally, we have to, you know, we all are those people that have all of this rando yeah. information. It's Making like, it available to you, your <laughs> listener. Nobody listens to us. So here we Medical are. stuff like anaphylaxis, cataphylaxis, or... Like, things like, what's the opposite of analog? Catalog, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's reel this one in. (laughs) So, if you don't pay the ferryman to get you across, you have to wander the shores of the Styx for a hundred years. And then Mm -hmm. you just get across. Like, it's not terrible. If you don't pay... It's not. I mean, yeah, you're dead already. Yeah. What are you doing? Well, you get. Yeah, you have to wander the shores, right? 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 But it's only a hundred years. That that doesn't seem like a big deal. Yeah. It's like washing dishes in a restaurant. Yeah. For a hundred years. Well, in some versions of the Greek underworld, there was actually like a fairly good civilization going on. It wasn't just like wandering, screaming shades in the dark, but it was like a literal afterlife where you live your life again, and you you know there were parties even. Mm-hmm. So, it'd be irritating. And, like, your boots would get wet. Ugh. Get all sticksy. Oh, um, when I was researching this, I researched uh, Potomoy sticks. 
And Google's first result was potato sticks, so I went with that for a while. <laughs> I could see why. So there's another thing about okay, the water sticks, because I was looking into the whole, like, what happens? Like, is there anything that happens to you if you fall in? But the Olympian gods took oaths on the sticks, and if they broke an oath, they had to drink the water. And that meant that if they drank the water, then they had to go without ambrosia and nectar for a year. Ooh, oh, rough. Mm-hmm. And then they were forbidden to attend the assemblies of the other gods for another nine years. Uh, yeah, well... That's still right. 90 years less than you had to wander the shores. Good point, yeah. yeah. And I mean, after a year, you got to eat your nectar and ambrosia, so what if? So I had one more question. Do we know what the boat, what Karen's boat is called? Google, what is Karen's boat called? Because I found the only thing I found that I don't know if this is real or not, but it shows up in different places. The broad bottom packet? Makes the rockin' world go round. That can't be right. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I was just a skinny corpse. The something something orps. There's this this amazing picture of Caron's boat filled with, I guess, old politicians or something from kind of the glory day of uh, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. 18th century political cartoons. Um, Boat boat full of wigs or something. Mm -hmm. And is that the broad bottom packet? Yeah, that's the broad bottom packet. So there's a joke here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but that kept kind of showing up, not even in reference to that painting or that cartoon. So I think maybe it's yeah I I couldn't figure I couldn't find anything else about because I was really curious to see what his boat was called. There's a suggestion because it seems to be a flat bottom boat much like the flat bottom boat on the Thames. If there isn't a name, uh, it has been suggested the punt of no return. <laughs> Thank you, Internet. Oh shoot! I thought that was a song by Styx, but it's also it's actually by Kansas. I was going to make a like oh my god, but. It's by Kansas. Very similar sticks. So in, in this illustration, Kieran's skiff is filled with these extremely large, naked politician types, and he's kind of shoveling across the Thames, maybe. It's kind of suggesting what would happen to a government that was filled with like people that were put there without any real rhyme or reason, that the government would collapse and the institutions that it served would, would die. And this is a kind of a... 1800s representation of Karen in political context. Mm-hmm. Broad okay. bottoms referred to having like a bunch of different parties in the same cabinet. So you got your Tories and your Whigs and your Independents and your Natural Law Party and whatever. Yeah, see, I've learned something else today. Whigs. Hmm. Whigs. Whigs. It's fun to say Whig. So talking about Obelai mm-hmm. and live action role playing, like you do, have you played Wraith the Oblivion ever? No, no. Never oh, you didn't do the vampire LARP thing. I, I did, and that was that was me. But uh, White Wolf, <laughs> White Wolf game. You look like you vampire LARP. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to take that as a compliment. That's the kindest thing he's never said to me. So I'm glad he said that. Yeah. I think I look more vam- vampiric than you do. It's mm. it's my pallor. So in White Wolf's Wraith the Oblivion, which is kind of personal horror game of dying and then. You know, what do you hold dear and like the movie Ghost, but with more dark intrigue. The first ghost that ever kind of came into the underworld was Charon. And he built this kind of Roman-esque civilization in the underworld. And it's really horrible and corrupt. 
but the obelai is a coin, and it's kind of the coin that everybody uses to do all of their exchanges. Um, mm-hmm. But whereas it represents like one day of work in the real world, it represents one's soul in this dark underworld. So everybody's paying for all their dues with a coin that is someone's soul beaten into a coin. And Karen is kind of this saint and dark villain at the same time because he he created this terrible corrupt society but is holding back oblivion from the rest of the world. So anyway, it's a really neat evocative setting and Karen the boatman is the main is one of the main symbols. Uh, he kind of drives his skiff across the like waters of chaos at the edge of creation to seek out souls and new afterlife and things. It's a really neat setting. So it's oh, like cool. it's like mining for bitcoin except just harvesting souls from the river yeah that's fair yeah okay Hmm. okay have you guys read the frogs by aristophanes we really need to it's really good i read it a long like either high school or junior high for drama and it is about dionysus going to hades to resurrect euripides because he feels like the state of greek oratory is just it's just fallen into decay since Euripides uh, passed away. Yeah, and so he goes. He meets with. He's dressed like Hercules, which is a big joke because Dionysus is kind of like we were talking about earlier is this sort of feminine figure. Hercules makes fun of him, but he tries to get tips from Hercules about getting to the underworld. And so he encounters Charon, of course. And the frogs in the title are like he has this kind of back and forth with the frogs while he's being forced to row himself across the river by by Karen. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing about this that I found out purely by accident by um, refreshing myself on the frogs is that the call of the frog chorus was brekkekek, brekkekek, coax, coax. I just read brekkekek, brekkekek, coax, coax. Like, so that- I was waiting for that. <laughs> that is part of this historic cheer at Yale called the Long Cheer. Oh, my. That's, yes, that started in the 1880s because a bunch of students, they were studying the frogs, and they realized what a great crowd, like, bow crowd, cry, crowd cheer, taunt. Yeah. <laughs> what a great taunt. So they not only had the brekkekek, brekkekek, coax, coax, but they also added the first two things that Karen says – which is uh, hello in Greek, which is oh, 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 or oh, how would, it's like, it's something like that. Um, I have it written down as O-O-P-O-P, which is Greek for hello, and then parabolu, lay to. So this cheer has both <laughs> frogs and Karen in it. Huh. Not weird? The frogs are the chorus in this play. Uh-huh. Yep. There's, yeah. there's like multiple cor- choruses, is, but that's the first one. I word dropped this like three episodes back when I asked if someone knew the croaking chorus of the Frogs of Aristosthenes, and no one said how witty I was. Okay, so that'll be another sidecar where we go back and we laugh at Jacob's jokes. Ah, yeah, I can, expl- I can explain them all, and it'll be very funny. <laughs> he was so witty. Now I kind of want to do like the, the croaking chorus over Orpheus's gallop. <laughs> well, they, they're tied. Like that is that's that's a parody that kind of fed into. So it'd be it'd be. But that was that was kind of the origin of the Merry Hell, and we'll definitely pick that up later on. Oh, so the core. Yeah, I would like to gallop. What's the chorus? Right. Hmm. 
So once we kind of start emerging out of the classical Greek period, we start getting into more modern Greek folklore, and Karen's story starts to shift and merge with the angel of death in various forms. So Charon becomes Keros, who kind of is free associated with Thanatos a fair bit. Uh, he becomes a psychopomp angel of death, and not a bad guy. I mean, you know, it's death. That's he, he, he's there. No, you can have an angel of death, and you can have a psychopomp. But are all angel of deaths psychopomps, or is it you can have an angel of death without it being a psychopomp? Oh, easily. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. the right hand, the right hand of God, left hand of God, angel of death, the destroyer, Samuel, is not a psychopomp. He's mm. just a destroyer. This angel of death was like like the fairman. He kind of took people back home. And Thanatos became like literally an angel of death. He has wings and gold hair even. And Charon is associated with Thanatos, but in some versions of his story, he would travel with Hermes Psychopompus, who would bring the souls of the dead to the sticks, and Charon would ferry them across the sticks. So you got your hands held by two gods. Hermes becomes St. Michael over time, or their myths merge. So St. Michael and Thanatos kind of work together, both these fairly nice angels, to kind of ferry souls around. As we go along further, the idea of the angel of death starts out as glorious, and then by the 18th century it becomes kind of morbid as it gets free associated with the Grim Reaper more and more. By the 600-ish, Charon is uh, more human. He becomes more like a knight, almost. Kind of a knight with black armor on the black horse with like golden hair. And sometimes he's kind of like big football player knight guy, and he'll wrestle you if you want to not be taken away to the land of the dead. Well, the, So there's one story where he wrestled with Diogenes, the Cyprian, who's a, a sort of modern medieval Hercules. And uh, he wrestled with him for like three days until finally God said, I did not send you here to wrestle. Would you please bring me the guy's soul? And so he turns it off the eagle and just steals his soul right there, which seems kind of unsportsmanlike. But um, just like a real he's eagle. Kind of Eagle, but uh, he he's kind of got this macho wrestling reputation and like kind of sporty and like big noble knight on a horse. Not not necessarily negative depiction, although sometimes he kind of comes as a, across as a bit of a tyrant and like a darker version. I was really distracted by this this poem in um, J.C. Lawson's text. Why stand the mountains black and sad, their brows enwrapped in darkness? Is it a wind that buffets them? Is it a storm that lashes? No, tis no wind that buffets them, nor no storm that lashes, but tis great Keros passing by, and the dead are passing with him. He drives the young men on before, he drags the old behind him, and at the saddle bow are ranged the helpless little children. The children cling and cry to him, the old men call beseeching. Good Keros, set some hamlet, halt some cooling water. Let the children heave the stone, the young men drink the water. No. No. No, no, nope, nope. No, no Hamlet will I halt, nor yet at cooling fountains, lest mothers draw water there and know their little children, lest wife and husband meet again and there be no more parting. So he's a sometimes a jovial and welcoming death, sometimes a tyrannical death. Lawson says that, kind of like the dance of death, of all the manifestations of God and the angels and the Greek gods, Kyrus was the closest to us because. You know, he's the one that's going to hold our hand, like maybe literally. Oh, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stories about him because of his immediacy. As we get kind of past 500-ish or so, Christian mythology and Greek mythology starts to merge and blend, and it's very hard to tell one from the other. As they kind of do. Different variations of the same thing, yeah. Yep. And I think Kara says the angel of death becomes particularly that. But 
On a more lighthearted note, Lawson introduces us to the entire Karen's family. Oh. And it's lovely. We meet Karis's mother, who always says, Oh, Karos, don't take the newlyweds. That's sad. And leave the nursing mothers alone. Please, just leave them alone. And we meet his wife, Karantisa, or Carissa. Uh, there's not really much to say about her, except that she's Karos's wife, but uh, doesn't really have an identity. But still, he's married. That's nice. We meet his son, uh, for whose wedding feast he slays children instead of lambs and brides as fatlings. I mean, open bar. Sound, yeah, it doesn't sound nice. We meet all of his adopted kids, and he has a three-headed dog. Uh, the three-headed dog is not very well trained. Uh, a savage dog have I who guards us all, and when he sees me, he rages and fain would devour me. A three-headed dog that burns like fire. So hmm. there's this kind of comical touch that Karos is afraid of his own dog. But it's deep that there's this kind of light-hearted domestic touch to the angel of death that I, I would never have expected to find. Mm-hmm. But he's a god that operates at our level, and that's an unusual situation. That's kind of unique. Oh, I have something that's related to this, and I think I brought it up. Did I bring it up when we were talking about rivers? I might have brought it up when we were talking about rivers, but there's this American Life episode uh, that is dedicated to stories about different kinds of ferrymen or people who ferry things. Mm-hmm. And so there was one of the segments on this episode was a short story by Marie Phillips called Last Ride. And it's actually really, really funny. I'll send y'all the link to it. But the gist of the story is a newly deceased housewife tries to chat Karen up because she she sees like he might be a good, hmm. you know, a good provider. So That's I'll sweet. send that to you because it's really, really funny. There's a couple of images of Karos that kind of feed into the future. Like he's seen as a harvester, so he's got a sickle or a scythe that's part of his right. symbol set. And that's stolen from Saturn way, way back in the in the earlys. In in his original incarnation as Charon, he wore a black cloak sometimes. These sort of ideas get mixed in with him as the angel of death. Uh, he becomes more associated with the divine in some ways, and you can find the phrase Saint Charos on gravestones in in Europe. One of the traits that Karos Charon carries with him all the time is that he's he's very tired. Like he has this endless task to ferry the souls across. And like his one moment of respite is when he deals with someone like Hercules or something like that. And it kind of wakes him up a little bit. And in the sort of late modern Greek period, he says things like, No respite can I give, brave sir, for I am straightly charged. Tis God that sent me here to thee to take thy spirit. He's uh, he's a hardworking dude, and that's kind of part of his his style and motif as well. Ro gets no rest. Yeah. So by the 1300s, we start getting to this lovely period called the Black Death, and Ooh. the Grim Reaper as a figure manifests here. Right. And that's the skeleton in a robe. And they're not really related at all. Like, Karen is an old man, and he stays an old man for a very long time. Like, that doesn't fade really ever, but... Um, I feel like, and I can't prove it, that by the 1800s or so, a lot of mythology was starting to collapse, and there was only room for one angel of death on the tombstone, and they went with the Grim Reaper, and that may be where we kind of get Charon, Karos, and the Grim Reaper kind of associated as being the same character. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. all angels of death, ultimately, just different voices, different ideas of the same thing. Gotcha. Mm Mm-hmm. Sort of somebody you can attach a lot of things to. 
I'd also like to recommend an article by I.C. Sedgwick, S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K, Meet Karen. Mm-hmm. That was a really good read. It lightly touched on a lot of these different ideas, and it kind of feeds into I.C.'s uh, YouTube video of the same to kind of give some backstory. That was a lot of fun and a resource that I used pretty oh, heavily cool. today. Yeah, I kept seeing kind of the same stuff, so I'll have to look at that. Modern Greek Folklore and Ancient Greek Religion, A Study in Survivals by J.C. Lawson, which is, if not free, very cheap on Google Books. It's like a $2 pickup. Oh, okay. And it's got some stuff on uh, Kerberos that I'd like to get into as well later on. I feel like, yeah, we need pets of hell. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Infernal pets. There aren't that many. (laughs) Well, Death had kittens sometimes in Terry Pratchett. Um, In Terry Pratchett, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of horses. There's probably a lot of horses. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Horses. Um, can I tell you the thing that I got super excited about and then got super disappointed about this, this while I was researching all this? We so, will celebrate and mourn with you. <laughs> uh, have you guys heard of the Netflix series Archive 81? Yes. Yes. No. We've been watching a little of it. So how far into it are you? Spoilers. I won't give you spoilers. Any spoilers. Like three so episodes, three okay. episodes in, but I probably won't finish it. Okay. So I got super excited that they were talking about a comet named Karen throughout. Uh huh. And I started to like, think, Oh my gosh, maybe there's some kind of mythology. Maybe there's, you know, mythology about this comet that gives it sort of these occult powers and things or this that associated with it. Turns out, there's no such thing. That's not a spoiler. A, That's just, just a reality. But there is a moon of Pluto called Charon. There is a moon of Pluto, and that is in, in itself fairly interesting. Interesting. Let me try to say that again. Good luck. Interesting. But the other moons of Pluto, do you know what their names are? Goofy. <laughs> Steve. Mike. Oh, yeah, Mike. Uh-huh. Reggie, or Reg, as he's known. Um, he's a bit of a lad. No, uh, there's Karen, Styx, Nix, Kerberos, and Hydra. Oh, cool. Kerberos is up there. Yep, 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 yep. So, yeah, so I was sorely disappointed because I was like, um, I felt like I'd kind of unlocked something yet to, like, no, it's not real. Oh, but the, I did find out something interesting that made me excited again is that Asteroid size icy bodies in orbits that cross those of other planets are called centaur objects. <gasps> centaur objects. Because yeah. they're obnoxious and they get in the way, just like real centaurs. Oh my god. Yeah, just the streets are lousy with centaurs just kind of randomly backing up into you. Bro, why are you in the bike lane? <laughs> Sometimes Beer is a centaur. Oh, of course he is. Yeah. So That makes total sense. An actual serious question after making fun of them in the bike mm-hmm. lane. Are centaurs allowed in the hub lane? Depends. Like, are they carpooling? Are riding them? Well, they're riding themselves. They're mo- I I mean, they're still mm. one being. Mm. But I think if they're giving somebody a ride. Okay. Maybe mm. if they give somebody a ride. Then that would count. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note. Um, if we haven't scared you away, I'd like to encourage you to like and subscribe us uh, on iTunes or your podcast provider of choice, because that really does help with our ratings. Uh, it's a little frustrating that if you type in podcast about hell, you get 
the entire universe of podcasts, because over the last two years, everything has been about hell. Thank you so much for listening to us. And follow us on Instagram at... Dispatchist underscore podcast. Curated by none other than Vuka herself. Vuka like public Instagram. The Dispatchist on Twitter. And some indecipherable string of numbers on Facebook. Isn't it just the Dispatches podcast? Let's talk about hell. I'm a moderator. It might very well be. I think it is. So we'll see you in social media. <laughs> Woohoo! Basically, hell. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. <laughs>